Welcome to the Addiction Connection. We like to believe the opposite of addiction is actually connection, and we are going to attempt to educate you and possibly even entertain you while we navigate all topics addiction. Hi, I'm Dr. Kirk Devine. And I'm Dr. Heather Bell, and we both provide primary care and addiction services. It's our goal to help you learn more about the disease of addiction and its treatments. Welcome back to episode 127, although I guess no one's welcoming back to this unless they started the episode over. Nobody's counting anymore. No, except my Excel spreadsheet. <laughs> yeah. My Google Doc. Today is something that we, uh, that we frequently talk about. And, and get questions on. And, and get, Yeah, and actually I told you yesterday when you texted me I was working on a patient who was having surgery. And on buprenorphine. And when you say working on a patient, it sounds like you're like actually doing the procedure with wrenches. On them. Yeah, and you know, and it's kind of one of those things where the surgeon didn't know what to do with it. And so okay, we the were bonus moment in what you just said though is that the surgeon didn't know what to do, and then you still got involved. Because <laughs> I think, I, I as a primary doctor, it was always a little intimidating to like, hey, surgeon, let me tell you how to do this. You know what I mean? Like nobody likes being told how to do their job better. And I think it's awesome that the world is starting to kind of figure it out. Everybody's afraid of buprenorphine when they do surgery. And it's that whole pain control thing that's such a, you know, confusing thing for them. Although it's really not that tough. But the biggest problem really is, you know, you want the patient to be comfortable. You want yeah. them to be the same as any other patient. But you also don't want them to relapse Correct. or lapse. Yeah. And you want it to be done similarly. So I think in, in any institution, it's nice if you kind of come up with a plan and you kind of do similar things with each patient. Right. And I mean, I think even trying to just, and I think that all the addiction societies, and we'll talk about that, I think in the next episode, but really recommend very similar things. And we'll kind of go through some of the research out there as well. But yeah, you want it to be consistent. You don't want that to be a thing. But you also want to make sure, like Kurt mentioned, that they're treated. But then what about when they leave the hospital? Like that they also have, don't write on my table. Sorry. <laughs> that they have that, that management. But I think my favorite goal on this list, even though it's the middle one, is really setting that expectation for patients and clinicians. Because I think that should be a general goal for every surgery. I was wondering if you're going to say that. Because it has to be the same. I think the old way is like, you should have no pain. Right. Yeah, we're going to remove your entire spine and it shouldn't hurt at all. Right. And so, I think no. I think a lot of things or a lot of places, even especially orthopedic procedures, which I feel like are the, the, the biggies, is that setting that expectation and maybe kind of going through some of that ahead of time. I think that is the goal. And even when I'm starting a patient on, on buprenorphine or a patient I've been seeing for a while, sometimes we'll just randomly bring it up, even if they're not, you know, in that moment of about to have surgery and just say, you know, just something that comes up is if you were to need surgery, if you were to have that, that can be very anxiety provoking for you as the patient, not only for the providers not knowing or not being comfortable doing stuff, but as the patient, they get worried. So yeah. just reassuring them like, I can help you through this. And then they all take a deep breath. Yeah. If I had a nickel for every time that patient showed up and said, I'm having surgery, they're stopping my, my buprenorphine. I'll be like, no. <laughs> and, I, and we'll talk about why. Then why we'd be we doing this podcast from like a beach in Fiji. Ah, if we got a nickel for that. I frankly don't know where Fiji is, but let's move on. <laughs> oh my God. So there's a lot of things to consider when we're talking about buprenorphine and, and how we're going to control pain. And a lot of it has to do with those 
silly little mu receptors. You know, like the science of it. Why is this? Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, what, it, yeah, so the mu receptor, what is, what is the role of it? Obviously for pain management, but when you're talking about, you know, more of the pharmacokinetics and all of those things with, with buprenorphine at the mu receptor is, wow. there, that's where it all comes through. Big word. Um, and, it, and so much of it is the difference between the opioids and, and how they're attracted to that mu receptor. We're going to talk about that and talk a little bit about, you know, how buprenorphine is kind of measures up, if you will, as far as a pain medication. I think that's also a pretty good misconception. So, yes. and, and the, <laughs> like in our, you know, the different protocols that we helped make for different communities that we work with, it's really too dividing up the type of surgery somebody's having. Yeah, mild, moderate, severe. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I how much tissue severe, damage but... is there, right? It's all about that. Right. And that's, and that's where I, I, this is totally off from like, I think this is supposed to be the third version of this, but it's like having those conversations with the surgeon and having that open communication and team-based care. But let's go back to the science. Oh, I just or woke up. research. So what does the research say? Yeah, the research says there's not enough research. Uh, and that's been the big issue as we've looked into this uh, from for years. years. And actually, if you think about five, six, seven years ago, when we first looked in it, there was basically nothing. And even now, it's really, the research is really lacking so on the, how, what's the best way, right? And to, to go back, the very first patient we had to deal with this with was a somebody very, very ridiculously early in recovery. And it ended up being a C-section, which is considered one of the severe ones. Yep. And so it's kind of the firehouse learning because you have to, you have no choice in that moment. Yeah. Anyway. So the reality is that majority of how we handle patients on buprenorphine uh, with any procedure is really expert consensus more than anything. So um, there, there are some articles, and actually this thing says 2009, but they go back to 2003. So there's three different kind of major, um, what's the word, consensus or major themes of the articles, or I don't know the right word, but... The first is the consensus out of all of these, the research from back in the day. Um, this has a bunch of articles from 2013, 14, 9, 10, and 12. All of these general articles at those time will have all of these articles on the Spotify website thingy, so y'all can find them if you want to read them. But those articles basically came to the same consensus that pain control is difficult when buprenorphine is continued. That's the old that's the old way. That's the old way. Yeah. So. And then things came out that said, hey, pain control is actually manageable if you continue the buprenorphine. And, and that was also a whole bunch of articles that said yeah. that. Yeah. And then the third, which also had a whole bunch of articles all in that same time frame, was discontinuation of the buprenorphine is kind of what that first consensus all said was associated with an increased rate of illicit use so kind of or that relapse. whole relapse yeah. lapse thing so that's a bunch of across the board <laughs> ideas so you could pretty much up until more recently when we'll get to that in a future episode because um, this is part one really you could find whatever answer you were looking for yeah. and so i think that's where we were running into issues with surgeons or you know in general is that well no these things i see say this well yeah, yeah. And the reality was early on, they were always discontinuing it four to five days before the surgery. And then they would give them opioids for their pain. And then the 
they would leave the hospital and they would relapse. And so, so we know now that that's not the best way. And it's interesting if you look at, you know, how good is buprenorphine for pain? Remember that buprenorphine actually was initially studied for pain at one of the uh, narcotic farms. There you so, go. Yeah. So yeah, long time ago. I think, you know, we have to, the question that everybody always asks and why all the discontinuation recommendations came from is because of that whole, we know buprenorphine has a super high affinity for that mu receptor. We'll give you the numbers in a second. Um, and so how could you possibly have, you know, be able to treat their pain thinking that you only had to use a, you know, a full agonist opioid to treat pain, but how do you do that when there's a high affinity there? So yeah. that was always that, that fear. Yeah. And I think that also, when we talk about the affinity of the buprenorphine for the mu receptor, it's really plays into that whole why we have precipitated withdrawal, right? Because the buprenorphine is so strongly attracted, it will push other opioids off, such as fentanyl, because it's six times, you know. No. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Oh, yeah, yeah you correct. Me. It's like <laughs> was it has a six number. times higher affinity for the mu receptor than fentanyl. And so yeah. it really wants to sit on that mu receptor. And so keeping it around, um, if it's a good pain medicine is also helpful as well. As much as no one's going to remember these numbers, I think it is important to list them from all of them on there. So it's only just under two times higher affinity than Dilaudid, hydromorphone, five times higher than morphine. Kurt just mentioned six times higher affinity than fentanyl. So we'll push all of these off and 120 times Stronger. stronger than oxycodone stronger affinity so it is like a super magnet which is why people are like it is impossible to treat perioperative pain but but the reality is is just because it has a high affinity doesn't mean that it's on all the receptors correct and that's where we have an opening <laughs> for pain control so is it additive or is it is it a competition? So that's based on your dose. And so after, you know, I think the first wave of recommendations was always let's discontinue everybody's buprenorphine. And then there was the second wave of let's just get them to a lower dose. Open up, open up so some it receptors. would open up some mere receptors. Um, and I'm not saying that's totally wrong now, especially if they're on super high doses. But really the bottom line is if you're going to taper them to a lower dose pre-op, and you have that time, what is their risk of relapse? You know, if they start going from 24 milligrams down to 16 and they're having cravings and triggers and using dreams and you got a week yet till surgery, is that really the best thing? So it is very patient-based, but it is important to understand that different doses of buprenorphine will occupy different levels of the receptors. Yeah, you remember when for a while it was like, you need to taper them down to 12. Right. And that was kind of the thing. So we were taping people down to 12 a little bit because it thought it opened up more mu receptors. Which it does. Which it does to a degree, but that does, it, does it make a big difference? Right, because even at 32 milligrams of buprenorphine, which, I mean, 24 is kind of where the most people, most people end because it is one of the higher ends, which there's not much difference. But even at 32 milligrams, you know, different, you know, studies, you have between two and 12% of mu receptors still open and available. Yeah. Open for business. So if you think of the, you know, the average patient that, that you come across maybe is on 16. 16, you know, probably the average study has shown somewhere between, you know, 10 and 15% of those receptors are available and, and those can be used as well. And again, we're, we're also assuming that buprenorphine gives some pain control. Which we'll get to. Yes. So 
ultimately you can still use other pain medications. And it's, you know, it is important though to look at the, um, the affinity and seeing, you know, is, you know, hydromorphone is going to be a little bit more effective because it doesn't get as displaced as quickly. So if they're in a hospital and it's more, you know, IV stuff, they can still get that pain relief. So, yeah. All right. So let's talk about some metabolism of buprenorphine. Oh, it's metabolized. And actually, you know, this is something if you're checking levels, of course, you know that it, it switches over to norbuprenorphine, which is, you know, metabolized by the liver. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes we talk about, do you need to check the liver every time you start people on it? But for the most part, I don't think we do unless they have a lot of alcohol intake. I but, literally don't think I've ever checked yeah, liver functions during buprenorphine. Risk benefit, man. Yeah, but I think that the reality is that norbuprenorphine is also an active metabolite. So it does, it does improve some of the discomfort. Uh, it has some weak analgesic activity in comparison to the actual buprenorphine. And but then the, just just so people understand, there are studies that show in some studies that act, buprenorphine actually has as good a pain control when it's blinded as morphine. I don't know if you're you've giving seen out that from like a subsequent episode. Oh my god! I, <laughs> just kidding. It's I okay. just blew it. You did. Um, you guys can all stop listening to us. Just kidding. Yep, we're uh, done. So the other thing with buprenorphine, and we know this, it's long acting, you know, you could give this once a day, every other day. Most people still give their buprenorphine twice a day, but buprenorphine does slowly dissociate from the body. It has a ridiculous half-life. So just to keep that in mind too. So buprenorphine and its active metabolite take a while to get out of the system, which is why if you were to taper, again, not the recommendation that we use is it's going to take a while to taper to the dose you're thinking you should be at. Yeah. And remember too, that uh, buprenorphine also hits one of the, you know, or excuse me, it's an antagonist at one of the different receptors that we, we tend not to think about too much. Yeah. We don't really talk about the kappa opioid receptor much because it's not the, you know, the one for opioid use disorder, but it does antagonize that. Yeah. And that, you know, there, it's, there's a lot of things that they think that's involved with. And one of them, of course, being the kind of that stopping that opioid-induced hyperalgesia, um, maybe having something to do with the lack of tolerance buildup to, um, to buprenorphine. And, and, of course, CAP is also uh, one of the things that's been associated with improved mood and less anxiety in people on norbuprenorphine. Or buprenorphine. Mm-hmm. So it's really an interesting thing, the whole kappa receptor. And I, there's a lot of studies going on we with that. We should do a podcast on the kappa receptor. Just the kappa. Just the kappa. Um, oh. We forgot this bullet point when it was important. So I'm going to point it out because I think it is important to note. I'll decide. Is that there are really no studies out there that... I mean, people consensusly say there's no studies. It's not just me saying that. That states you need so much opioid to get any type of pain relief. So we don't know like, oh my gosh, if you have this major surgery, even if you're opioid naive, you need to have this percentage of all your opioid receptors bound to have pain relief. And so there are no studies to say that. And so we can't say you need to get down to 12 milligrams because we need 20% 20% available. Yeah. We don't know that. And I'm, I'm guessing if there were to be studies, they would, it would vary between people. And yeah, because so. people, people are clearly different. So Dr. Bell. I think my point in that is yeah, get that to it. whole tapering down to 12 preoperatively 
you know, again, if we don't know how many receptors need to be available, what's how do you decide? That's an arbitrary number you're tapering to. Mm, I get it. Okay. So what's the point? What, do we, what does it mean? I think we're going to just kind of give you a teaser for the next episode. Uh, so, yeah, I think in the next episode we're going to talk a little bit about, you know, you know, what does this all mean then? If we're going to continue the buprenorphine, why and and how does that work? And, and what's the data show on that? What's the data show? You know, what we do know is that you mentioned this already and, and historically we taper people off and... Are they going to relapse even before surgery? Are they going to relapse when they get their full agonist opioids post-op? So that is the risk. And obviously that risk is very large, especially now in the day of fentanyl and overdose deaths and all of the things. Mm. Uh, and I suppose we'll end with all of that. I, uh, I think it's important to re- remember that those sugar addiction episodes are out there. And I don't know, I think the opioid and alcohol stuff and some of the other ones are, are really getting a lot more hits. I don't think people care about sugar, Dr. Bell. I think everybody cares about sh- You know why I think the sugar ones are popular? Like, really? Not because they're, like, super amazing, because it was very... There's a lot of information over five episodes. Why I think they're popular is because it's not heavy. Not, mm. you know, like, the suicide ones, obviously, that's very heavy. But, like, addiction is so... Can be... It's obviously so rewarding when you treat patients and you see that whole turnaround of everything... But it's also a very, it's an intimidating specialty. It's an intimidating topic just because of how widespread and severe the disease that it can be overwhelming. And I think sugar is just so like, it's a fun topic. So it'd be rewarding if I turned somebody's sugar addiction around. Well, sure. But I think people just- Is that powdered sugar on your face? I think people just like talking about day-to-day normal Uh, things like sugar. Like Kit Kats. It's lighter. It's a lighter topic. All right. Well- Unless you eat a lot of it, it's heavier. Do we have to do any disclaimers like don't do anything we tell you? No, we don't have to do that. Um, Just that, obviously, y'all found us, so you know that we're on Spotify and all the different locations, and we are now part of Ars Longa Media, which is a super awesome organization or company or verb, I don't even know what you call it, online. Now you're confusing me. Place that, you know, with different... I don't know. Different podcasts are also out there with different, you know, whether it's mental yeah. health and different topics. Yeah. Um, and our mate. Oh, the producer, Dr. Patrick Beeman, he took his boards yesterday, which is now a week after, you know, we're taping this, but I think it's yesterday. today. No, it was Thursday. That's yesterday. Uh, I text him. He didn't respond. Hopefully mm, it went well. Hopefully. All right, All right. Well, we will let Casey throw a little music on there. Also available on Spotify and Battle Lakes.
Every single last of me. 